Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Esther. We're starting the book of Esther this morning. Esther is a fantastic book in the scripture. And it's something, it's, um, you know, it's not one that's often, often taught. And it's a little bit difficult to teach. Because when you teach Esther, you can't teach it like a chapter at a time. First of all, it's a, it's a narrative. It's a story in the Old Testament. And so to teach it one chapter at a time, you kind of need to know how the story ends in order to extract some of the helpful, meaningful spiritual principles. You, you kind of have to have an overview of the whole book to be able to appreciate the, the, the smaller parts of the book. So this is going to be a little different this morning because I've never done this with Southside, but I'm actually going to do an, an, an overview of the entire book of Esther this morning. We're going to walk through the entire book. At the end of this message, I want you to have a big picture understanding of the book of Esther. And then I want you to begin reading, even this afternoon, one chapter at a time. Just read through. There's 10 chapters in Esther. It's it's different because I usually focus on a small chunk of, of Scripture and I bring out application and all those things. I'm not going to be doing a lot of application today. It's very unusual for me. The goal is you leave this room and you understand what Esther is all about. It makes sense. You're excited to read it. You're excited to get into the details yourself because you understand the big picture. So if you don't have a Bible, the the sermon notes this morning are actually the Bible, the book of Esther. You're just going to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, you can do one of two things. You can open up your device, whatever device you have that glows at you, and you can get a, you can just... Download an ESV Bible. You can look it up on your internet browser. You can find it online if you'd like to, or we will give you a Bible if you don't have one. So Chad, one of our ushers, is in the back. If you would like a Bible to follow along, you can raise your hand, and he will give you one of those right now. Um, If if you do have a Bible, turn to the book of Esther, and we're just going to walk through highlights of it, okay? I'm going to give you a little bit of historical background. Many years before the book of Esther was written, God's people, the Jewish people, broke themselves up. They divided themselves up into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom and there was the southern kingdom. And because of their lack of faithfulness to God, God empowered two foreign nations to go and invade the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom as a way of disciplining the Jewish people, and bringing them back into relationship with God. The Assyrians went in and invaded the northern kingdom, destroyed them, and the Babylonians went in and invaded the southern kingdom. You might recognize the king of Babylon at the time was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was famous in in secular history because he he built one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He built it for his wife, so he's known in that way. He's also known as the person who went in and destroyed Solomon's temple, which was a glorious, beautiful temple. He destroyed it, and he sent the people in the southern kingdom into exile 
for 70-some years. So God's people are scattered. They're pushed out of Judah. They're pushed out of Jerusalem. They're living in these different territories, in these different cities. Eventually, God wants to send them back to Jerusalem, so he sends another empire into the Babylonian Empire to defeat them. And that was Cyrus the Great. He was the king of Persia. And he defeated the Babylonians, and he wrote a decree that all the Jewish people could go back to Jerusalem. They could go back to their hometown. They could go back to their homeland. They were no longer in exile. They'd been in exile for 70-some years. So they start going back in waves. That's where we get Ezra, a priest who reminds them of the faithfulness of God and calls them back into faithfulness. It's the beautiful scene where they're weeping over the, the loss of the old majestic temple of Solomon. It's Nehemiah. He goes in and rebuilds these walls. So they're, the Jewish people are going back to their land in waves. However, some of them have lived their entire lives in the cities to which they were exiled. And they didn't go back. At least not right away. One of those persons was Esther. The book of Esther is about a young girl that God uses in spectacular ways and sweeps him into the majestic behind-the-scenes work he is doing simply by her showing up to her life, the everyday, ordinary moments of her life, and living them by faith and courage. That's the story of Esther. Now, the book of Esther is really interesting because it's the only book in the Bible that doesn't explicitly mention God. God's name is not in the book of Esther. He's not even alluded to. It's the only book in the Bible, and there's a reason for that. Because the author is inviting you to see the invisible hand, the invisible work of God behind the scenes without actually saying it's God. It's a book that reminds us that God is sovereign. He's in control. He works through everyday circumstances, even when you don't see him, even when it's not explicitly clear that it is God doing the work. You won't find God, his name, in the book of Esther. So as you're reading it one chapter at a time, Just begin to pay attention to, okay, God's not named, but it's very apparent. There's too many coincidences. This is God's sovereign activity behind the scenes. That's what you're supposed to notice. So, as I walk through this, we're literally going to walk through this. Turn to the book of Esther, and if you don't know where that's at, you can look in the table of contents. No judgment here. Sometimes these books in the Old Testament are hard to find because we don't we don't cover them as much as we should probably, but go to the book of Esther, and in the following weeks, after you get this overview, <clears throat> in the following weeks, Pastor Al's going to do this next week, we're going to extract spiritual principles <clears throat> from this book. So once you know what it's about, once you have the overview, we can, we can point to particular paragraphs. It's like John Piper says, books don't change people sentences change people. 
the smaller parts of a book that change people. But you need to have the overview first. So we'll start extracting principles out of this next week. Pastor Al will do that. But for now, we're going to just go give the overview. Okay, so are you ready? You're going to have to put your thinking caps on, not because it's difficult to follow, but because apart from the Spirit's help, this is just going to be tedious and kind of boring and dull, getting an overview of the book. But with the Spirit's help, God can open up your eyes. And even in this, you will learn new things about him. <clears throat> Starts in chapter 1. The king of Persia, Ahasuerus, that's how you say that weird name, Ahasuerus, the, the NIV, does anybody have the NIV? The NIV says Xerxes. This is one of those instances where I like the NIV better because it's easier to pronounce, Xerxes. Xerxes and Ahasuerus are the same person. I don't know why ESV has to use Ahasuerus, but it, it does. That's the king of Persia. The king of Persia, the book begins with the king of Persia throwing two parties, two banquets. The first party lasts 180 days. And it's for all the really important people in his kingdom, the officials, the people that work closely with him. It's a 180-day party, <clears throat> and the second party is seven days, and it's for everybody. It's in the inner gardens, and that's for all the peasants and everybody that lives in that land to come celebrate. That one's a lot shorter, obviously, but the point of these banquets is he wants to show off. The king of Persia wants to show off his lavish lifestyle. That's his whole reason for throwing these parties. That'll give you a little backdrop as to what he's, what he's like. On the seventh day, this is still chapter one, he tells someone, go get Vashti. Vashti is his queen. He says, go get Vashti. Bring her in here. I wanna, I wanna put her up on the stage She's my trophy wife, and I want everyone to be impressed by how beautiful it is. It's kind of gross, right? We look at that like, that's it's odd. But I want everyone to be impressed by how beautiful my wife is. So he tells them to go get Vashti, his wife, his queen. And guess what she says? Nope. I'm not doing it. I'm not playing that game. She refused to do it. And he is angry. He's offended. He's embarrassed because she wouldn't obey him. She wouldn't listen to him. So he gets his counsel together and he says, what legally can we do to punish her for this? And his counsel gets together. They're thinking about it. And here's what this, this bright bulb says. Um, in verse, chapter 1, verse 16. Then Mamukin said, in the presence of the king and the officials, Listen, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she didn't come. So he's saying, that, look, listen, this isn't good for anybody because now the women are going to be able to think they don't have to listen to the men. <laughs> it's insane. But that's what they're worried about. And that's the kind of the time, that's the ancient Near Eastern world. That's what, it's, that's what it was like back then. So they, they made this edict. Uh, verse 19, if it pleased the king, let a royal order go out from him 
And let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed. That, this is important, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So they made this decree. And the, way, the reason it affects Vashti, she's, he's basically cutting her off. She's no longer queen. She's no, no longer able to come before the king. And so they need to pick a new queen. And they decide to have a beauty pageant. This is the way, this is just this is wild. They decide to have a beauty pageant. That's how they're going to pick the new queen for the king of Persia. And so all the unmarried girls in the land are invited to come to the royal courts and basically they have professional makeup artists, right? This is, this is, this is going into verse 2. By the way, who's, who's squirming in the room right now? Is it, who's uncomfortable with this? All right, God will take care of this, don't worry. Even in this story, he brings all the unmarried women to the courts. They have their own team of makeup artists, you know, the own team, their own team of people getting them ready for this beauty pageant. And this is where we meet Esther and Mordecai. Now, Esther and Mordecai are Jewish exiles who stayed in the Persian land where they were born. I mean, Esther would have lived here all her life. She was young. This is the, the town she's, she's grown up in. So that's one of the reasons why she didn't go back. And she doesn't have a choice but to be in this beauty pageant. So they walk her, they bring her to the royal courts, and she immediately starts to be favored. Like the people like her. She goes before the king, and he's just stunned by her, and she wins. Now Mordecai's telling her all along, don't tell people that you're Jewish, because if they find out that you're Jewish, then that, that could be bad news, because Jewish people, even though they were exiles, could, you know, they were brutalized by the Persians a lot of times. They were persecuted by the Persians. So he said, don't tell people you're, that you're a Jewish person. So the king doesn't know this, and he picks her. She is now Queen Esther. Mordecai um, is probably thrilled by this because it's a position of power and she might have the ear of the king and be able to make some, be able to help the Jewish people. The king throws a, a party for Esther and in verse 19 through the end of chapter 2, it describes Mordecai, Esther's cousin, who's like a father figure, overhearing a plot to kill the king. He goes and tells Esther. Esther goes and tells the king. They do some investigation, find out that it's true. They hang the guys on the gallows, the officials that were planning to, to kill the king. And it gets recorded in a book somewhere that Mordecai saved the king's life. Remember that. We go into chapter 3. There's a man named Haman. And he's promoted because these other officials are, are killed. So Haman moves up the ladder. Haman's a wicked guy. Haman is bad news. Evil. Prideful. Manipulative. Cunning. He's bad news. Haman is bad. 
He's advanced in his position. And he's excited about this. He leaves the palace. He's walking through the streets. And he sees Mordecai, this Jewish cousin of Esther. Now the king has told everybody else, when Haman walks by you, you have to bow. Mordecai's Jewish. He doesn't bow to anyone except the one true living God. Haman walks by him. Mordecai is just like, Everyone else is bowing, and Mordecai is just chilling. He doesn't bow. Haman is furious. He's angry. This hatred for Mordecai begins to build in him, and he finds out that Mordecai is Jewish. So Haman begins to plot. He begins to think, how can I kill not only Mordecai? How can I kill every Jewish person in this area. He begins to think and plot out with his friends. Eventually in verse, chapter 3, verse 7, it says they cast per, that is they cast lots. That's simply, it's like, it's like rolling the dice to figure out a plan. So they cast per, they cast these lots to try to figure out when they're going to carry out this plot. The rest of chapter 3 is Haman using his position to create a decree with the king to destroy all people. So he's manipulating, he's using his power that he has in the royal courts, his relationship that he has with the king to have him sign this decree that all Jewish people, because they're rebels, they, they worship somebody else, to have them all killed. Then we get into chapter 4. Mordecai finds out about the decree, and he's devastated, obviously, and he begins to grieve, and Esther finds out that Mordecai is grieving, and she sends a servant to Mordecai to find out what's wrong, what's going on, why are you so sad, why are you in sackcloth and ashes, why are you grieving, and he gets a copy of this edict And he gives it to the servant. He says, go give this to Esther. And then he tells Esther, and this is chapter 4, he tells Esther, you got to go talk to the king. You need to go do something about this. You can do something about this. They're going to destroy every Jewish person. And you have the king's ear. And I want to read chapter 4, starting with verse 12, because we're starting to get some really important moments here. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said, because Esther says, I can't go to the king. If I go to the king, I could get killed because he didn't call me to him. That's, That's Vashti's fault. Like he called her and she didn't go. Now the queen can't even approach the king in his throne room without fear of being killed for doing that. So unless I'm invited, I can't go there. Here's what Mordecai says, verse 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. In other words, he's saying, just because you're in the palace doesn't mean that you're going to be safe. 
you're in just as much danger as any one of us. It doesn't matter that you're the queen. That's what he's saying there. Verse 14, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. This is, this is good faithfulness. This is, this is Mordecai saying God will carry out his plan. You can be a part of it, but if you don't, he will make it happen. This is good trust. This is good faith. This is good belief. And who knows, this is really important, this is the famous line in the book of Esther, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He's saying maybe the very reason why you're in this position as queen is to save God's people. And this is something that, you know, as the Bible compares Christians today to the exiles of the Babylonian time. Because Peter talks about this a lot. I think in 1 Peter where he says, we are spiritual exiles. This is a question that we can ask ourselves. Maybe you, go, maybe you work there for such a time as this. Maybe you work where you work or you go to school where you go to school or you sit behind, beside this kid in class or you sit beside in class for a reason, to be a part of God's invisible, unstoppable kingdom that is growing and spreading across the earth. Maybe there are no coincidences. Maybe where you find yourself right now is on purpose. Maybe God put you there. That's the story of Esther. So this is what Mordecai says to her, who knows? whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. She's like, okay, well, I can't say, gotcha. I can't say no to that. She says in verse 16, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, <clears throat> night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Bold, bold, courageous. If I die, I die. But I'm going to the king. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had told him. Now, so she, she told them to fast. And fasting is a way to heighten our sensitivity to spiritual hunger through physical hunger. So it's one of the things that you can do to enable yourself to pray with more focus and fervency, and intensity. So she's saying, go get all the Jewish people you can find. I'll do the same with my friends. We're gonna fast. We're gonna heighten the intensity of our prayers for this situation. And then after that, after we fast, after we pray, only after that will I go to the king's throne room. Chapter five, Esther goes into the inner court. She slides into the inner court, the throne room of the king, and he sees her. Now, remember, they had fasted, they had prayed that God would intervene, that God would act, and he does. When God moves, when God acts, he gives favor. Not always in the way that we think, but somehow he will be with us in a way that imparts his grace. Here's what happened. Chapter 5, verse 2, and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he didn't kill her, which he could have, 
she won favor in his sight because she and a whole bunch of people had been praying and fasting. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. The king essentially then says, what's up? What can I do for you? I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. And she says, I want you and Haman, remember, wicked, evil, cunning Haman, I want you and Haman to come to a banquet I'm preparing. Okay, yeah, that sounds great. Haman and the king go to this banquet she's preparing, and then he says again, what can I do for you? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. What do you want? And she says, I want you to come to another banquet, you and Haman, tomorrow that I'm preparing for you. Verse 9, Haman leaves. He's on cloud nine. He's thinking, I got invited to this banquet with the king and nobody else. The queen herself is hosting this. I'm feeling really good about life. And guess who he passes in the street? Mordecai. Esther's cousin. Guess what Mordecai does? Everyone else is bowing down to Haman. He's on cloud nine. He's feeling good about himself. Guess what Mordecai does? Nothing. He doesn't bow to him. Haman is furious. He goes home. He gets his wife and his friends. He talks about how rich he is. He talks about how much favor he has with the king. He talks about how much power he has. Then he says in verse 12, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So he's like, I get to do all this, it means nothing to me as long as that guy's alive. Verse 14, then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. The idea pleased Haman. He had the gallows made. Now, what the gallows is, is a 75-foot-high wooden spike. So it's, think of a really, really tall telephone pole. That's a gallow, except it's really pointy at the top. Now, the ESV says hangs. The NIV says impaled, have Mordecai impaled. Impaled is the picture you're wanting. That's what, that's what happens. They say make this big giant stake in the ground for everybody to see and then have Mordecai impaled on it for everybody to see. What happens to people that don't worship you? Oh, Haman liked that idea. I like that a lot. Yeah, that, that'll prove my point. I'm going to read... Chapter six and six and seven. All right, everybody doing all right? I'm going to read chapter six and seven because this gets very interesting. Because it looks pretty hopeless right now. It looks like it's bad news. Now I'm going to get through six and seven, and then we're going to fly through the rest of it. All right, so we're not going to be here all day. But I don't. There's nothing that I can't mention. I mean, everything in six and seven needs to be said. It's looking really bad for Mordecai. It's looking really bad for the Jewish people. Chapter 6, verse 1. On that night, 
that they made that plan. The king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. He can't sleep, so he's like, hey, bring me all the stuff that we've recorded in my kingdom, and let's just read through that. Maybe that'll help me sleep. Coincidentally, he couldn't sleep that night, and coincidentally, he wanted the records read. Verse 2, and it was found written how Mordecai, that's an interesting spot to pick up the reading. It was found written how Mordecai had told about Begathana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So they just happened to pick up the spot where it told of how Mordecai saved his life. Verse 3, and the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. It's like, we haven't rewarded him? He saved my life. And the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace. It was Haman who was in the court. Coincidence. To speak to the king about what? Having Mordecai hanged or impaled on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there. He's standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, Haman came in and he's like, oh, okay, I wanted to tell you about something. I had this plan. I think we need to have uh, you know, Mordecai murdered, impaled. He's excited to tell about his plan. And the king, before he says it, before you say anything, I have a question for you, Haman. What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, hmm, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden on, and whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. Not exactly the conversation that Haman was hoping to have that morning. Do you see God's invisible? He's not named. Do you see him? So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. Can you imagine? This would be a great movie. This would be a fantastic movie. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai before, before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. We'll give her credit for knowing that much. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. 
So the king and Haman went, went into the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted to me, granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold. Talking about this deal that Haman put together with the king. I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe and enemy. This wicked Haman. This would be such a great movie. Then Haman was terrified before the king. It's him. He's the one that did it. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that the harm, that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence? Like he coincidentally trips and falls on Esther as the king is walking in. In my own house, as the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Oof. They put a bag over his head. What happens when a bag is put over your head in the ancient Near Eastern world? You're going to the executor. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house. By the way, he put up a 75-foot pole in his backyard. We could use that. 50 cubits high, 75 feet high. And the king said, hang him. Hang him on that. Impale him. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. The rest of the story is no less interesting. Mordecai rises to second in command. The problem was they couldn't reverse a king's decree that had been signed, couldn't be reversed, so it was still a decree to kill all Jewish people. But Mordecai and Esther talked to the king about putting a new decree out there that would allow the Jewish people to defend themselves. The Jewish people were very mighty and they had the favor of God on them, so that spelled trouble for anyone that tried to, to kill them. The Jewish people went and got vengeance, they defended themselves, they flourished, they prospered, and they named a feast after it. You know what they named the feast? Do you remember what it was called when Haman was casting lots? He was casting Pur. They named the feast the Feast of Purim. A play on words to say you can do, you can try as hard as you want to subvert the plan of God. He's stronger than fate. He's stronger than chance. He is sovereignly weaving his story together, and it is unstoppable. The gospel is in the book of Esther. 
It's all over the book of Esther. It's not just the fact that God is sovereignly weaving his story together to preserve and to save and to flourish his people, which is us who are part of his invisible kingdom now, if you've put your faith in Christ. But notice it was a wooden post that was put in the ground that Haman meant for evil that God used for good to save his people. And centuries later, another wooden post is put in the ground that Satan intended to use for evil. The cross, the most brutal Roman tool of death imaginable, invented for evil, and God put his son on it to use for good, for the salvation of all his people. And today, if it has become clear to you that Jesus is inviting you into an everlasting family with him and everyone else in Christ for the rest of eternity, if it has become clear to you that that is possible through the cross of Jesus at Calgary, then you can bend your heart and your knee to him today and surrender your life. You can say, I wanna be a part of this invisible kingdom, the story that you're weaving together that will not be stopped. All you have to do is give him your life. Believe that he's made a way. Surrender to him. Stop living in your own power and your own strength. The story is gonna happen. God is going to accomplish his means. And you can be a part of it, or you can sit out this one and watch everyone else be a part of it. It's our choice. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.